Jesus is known not just for the statements he made, but for the questions he asked. Questions that challenge the religious and those who feel far from God. Questions that reveal his purpose and his plan. Questions that cut to the heart of our beliefs, our motives, and our identity. I wonder, how will you answer the questions Jesus asked? Well, good morning, everybody. I'd love to start off with a quick question. If you're sitting in the room and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but you've never been baptized, here's my question. Why not today? I'll get back to that in a minute. I've had some great bosses over the years. Charles Hopkins was one of my first bosses at my first job at Brandon University Food Service. And Charles would always say, don't forget, we're here to serve have fun, and get the job done. I'll never forget that, because we did. Pastor Jim Scobie was my first senior pastor boss. He would always say, Grant, don't be in a hurry. Walk slowly through the crowd. Jim wanted me to see the benefit of seeing people, noticing their hurt, and moving towards them, never away. Mike Bandman was my boss when I worked for my dad at New West Products. We were working in a dairy barn, and Mike handed me this tube of stuff. I don't remember what it was, but when he asked, have you ever opened one of these before? I lied because I didn't want to look stupid. So I held this tube and I said, yep, I've opened one of these before. All you need to know is that lying never goes well for you. And that tube was under pressure. And before Mike could say, don't do that, I was covered in this slimy glue that I think is still embedded in my pores to this day. Bosses are authority figures. They help steer you with words like do this or don't do that. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus has been steering his followers with some do this and don't do that type of statements. They're the setup to the red letter question. Jesus says, hey, by example, don't let a human rule stop you from helping or healing when he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And all the religious people went, you're not allowed to do that. And Jesus said, says who? Says who? So don't let a human rule get in the way that stops you from helping your healing. Do experience God's blessing. Then he preaches this beautiful little message of, of do, be blessed by this, but don't make sure that you never allow the world to fool you into thinking that it will satisfy. And then he says, do the hard work of loving your enemies. And then he says, don't judge. And then he says, do forgive. And then he says this, do understand that your mouth and what comes out of it will reveal the true condition of your heart 100% of the time. It's Luke chapter six. You should read it. Do this, don't do that. And here's something we need to say right at the beginning. Following Jesus requires obedience. That's how it works. And then Jesus asks it, the red letter question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'm just going to let that ring in our ears for a few minutes. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I say. The word Lord here is the English rendering of Adonai in Hebrew and Kyrios in Greek. It means master, ruler, final authority. And these words can seem a little cold unless you realize that in the Hebrew context, if you ever said somebody's name twice, it was actually a sign of deep affection. So if I say Randy or Randy... It means there's a connection, there's a friendship between the two of us. 
At the miracle of the burning bush, God says, Moses, Moses. At the summoning of Abraham, he says it twice, Abraham, Abraham. In the New Testament, Jesus says to a very busy and distracted lady, Martha, Martha. It's tender. It's personal. It's important. And Jesus asks a question. Why do you claim to have an Adonai relationship with me that's deep and personal? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Why do you name me as final authority, master and ruler, but pick and choose which commandments you'll obey? And boy, we do that, don't we? We don't want to admit it, but we do it all the time. Some of us, we love the commandments. Love God, absolutely. Love my family, of course. Love my neighbor, I'm working on it. But love my enemies, nope. Not a chance. Happy to obey the commandments about feeding the hungry. But that let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth thing? No way. Nobody tells me what to say, and I'll paint the air blue anytime I want to with my words because I can, and there's nobody that's the boss of me. Oh, I'll gladly obey all the commandments that will ensure my happiness. But don't you ask me to align myself with God's archaic view of marriage or sexuality. Because with all due respect, Jesus, times have changed. So sorry, Lord, but I'm going to keep my own opinion. Come on, pastor, let's stir it this morning. I mean, because it's all negotiable, right, Grant? I'm going to say them again, the words of Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's a word for someone who claims to follow Jesus and does whatever they want. You know what the word is as well as I do. It's hypocrite. The English word hypocrite comes from the Greek word Hippocrates, which means an actor, a stage player, someone who's playing a role. The Greek word is actually a compound noun. It's two Greek words that literally translate as someone who interprets from underneath. Let me explain that. That bizarre compound makes more sense when you know that actors in ancient Greek would wear these really large masks in the theater to portray which character they were actually playing. And so they would interpret the story from underneath a mask. Jesus is painting a picture here, and it doesn't make us very comfortable. He's saying, you paint yourself as a follower, but in truth, you interpret what I say and ask from under a mask of personal interpretation that allows you to do whatever you want to do. Reminds me of a verse in the Bible. It's my least favorite verse because of the amount of introspection that it creates in my own heart. Paul the Apostle, the leader of the first century church, says this to his protege Titus. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. It's really quiet in here. They're detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything but we all, we've all seen that person. We can pick them out. <laughs> can we admit that we've all been that person? We've all bypassed at times the tough commandments of Jesus. We've all created our own loopholes and exceptions and exemptions. And we get a little bit uncomfortable when Jesus doesn't take his foot off the gas pedal. He actually presses in and says this. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. Like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but couldn't shake it because it was well built. 
But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who's built his house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. Let me illustrate this for you. Here's a photo of a neighborhood in Galveston, Texas. It's a picture of this neighborhood before the storm surge of Hurricane Ike showed up in September of 2008. And it looks, it's beautiful, isn't it? Looks quiet and pristine. That unusual visual feature is the sun actually shining on the houses. Some of you have forgotten already. Looks beautiful. Warren and Pat Adams lost their home in Hurricane Rita, which struck Galveston, Texas, three years earlier in 2005. And after that devastation, they took a hard look at their lives and the location of their home, and they made a choice. They really liked living on the beach. You can see the beautiful water and the sand. They loved it. So they were determined to rebuild. They wanted to make sure their house wouldn't be destroyed the next time a hurricane came sweeping through the area because they show up with startling regularity. So they contracted to dig extra deep so that their foundation for their new home would actually be hooked to the bedrock below. Also, as part of their solid foundation, they decided instead of going the usual six feet up, they actually went 14 feet. That extra preparation paid off when Hurricane Ike roared through Galveston seven years later, wiping out nearly everything in its path except for one home. Let me show you a picture of Warren and Pat's place. Here's another, here's another angle of it. Can you flip to the next one? There it is. Absolute devastation everywhere, except for the house that was built on rock. After this photo was released, a lot of people actually thought it was fake. It's real. And it demonstrates the importance of carefully building a foundation, not just for our homes, but for our lives as well. Jesus nails it when he says... So many people claim to have that relationship with bedrock, but they do whatever they want to. They don't have a solid foundation built on Jesus. They have a solid foundation built on their own conjecture and opinions, and they are more in love with living their life their way than God's way. What's the point? It's clear. When we are disobedient, we are foolish and fallen. When we are obedient, we are unshakable. It doesn't matter what hits us. We're stubborn because we're anchored into the rock of Jesus. When we choose to step out from under God's authority, become our own authority, here's what happens. We just get swept away. When we count the cost and stay committed to a godly conviction, no matter how brutal this torrential downpour of cultural pressure comes, we remain unshakable. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do whatever you want to? My interpretation. What's Jesus saying to our church body this morning, November 6th, extra hour of sleep, two extra cups of coffee? We're ready for it, right? We're ready. Jesus has so much to say to us individually, and I love that, right? Love one another. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Dads, don't exasperate your children. Dads are like, that's in scripture? Yep, it is. Dads, don't drive your children nuts. You should go find that one after the service. It's good. There's so much for us individually, but what about corporately? 
we're going to have a family moment. Because I want to call us into the place where we can say, I do call you Lord, Lord, and I do what you tell me to do. I do what you say. But we're going to do it out of the, the context of reality. So at Christ the King Bellingham, this is our reality. Our CTK family has a need for volunteers in our kids' ministry. Let me tell you why. We have a lot of kids. Praise God, right? We have lots of young families, and they're starting to come back in increasing numbers. Here's the issue. We don't have enough big people to teach the little people about Jesus. We have an amazing core of volunteers, but we need to grow that number so we can share Jesus with our kids. And I'm making an appeal to you. You need to come and join the fun. Kids ministry is incredible. You need to join the fun. Oh yeah, and by the way, Jesus told us we should. Matthew 19. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. What an opportunity for people who call Jesus Lord, Lord, to be obedient to what he said. Let them come. Don't hinder them. Just to be clear, it's a hindrance when we have to tell mom and dad we don't have room for their kids. It gets in the way. Does that make sense? Right? Sorry, we don't have any room for your kid. That's not helpful. So I'm asking you to pray with me. Lord, send the volunteers. And then I'm asking that you would answer your own prayer and come and help us out. Some of you are like, Lord, Lord, <laughs> send someone else to meet this need. I'll take that prayer, but I would rather take you because I know that God moves in the hearts of people who love little ones. I'll just let that settle in for a second. Here's another reality. Our community needs volunteers at the winter shelter. So every November, we do something pretty incredible here at Christ the King. As you were walking in and... and uh, we're looking at the back there. We've got green envelopes all over the room. They're at the giving boxes back in the different places. That green envelope that says blessing on the top of it is your opportunity to be somebody else's miracle. And I say this every year and I'm going to keep saying it. I hope you never, ever, ever, ever need the Christmas blessing. I hope you never need it. Because if you need it, it means you're in crisis and your church family stepped in to try and help you. I hope you never need the CTK blessing, but if you do, I hope that other people who have been blessed will have stepped up so that you can see Jesus and the family of Jesus in the middle of your crisis. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said, through the apostle Paul, bear one another's burdens. The blessing helps people in crisis, but it does so much more. We're gonna talk about it over the next couple of weeks. It also underwrites our food share and farm as we bless people with fresh food. And it helps support the work of our community partners. And they do incredible, incredible 
work. But this is the main idea for the whole month. I'm going to be talking about it all the way through November. This is God's invitation to partner with him in impacting the world. And here's how we do it. By giving our time, sharing our money, and remaining faithful to the call of all the things that God asked of his children. We've been doing this for 20 years. It started off with oil changes for single moms. That's how it started. And because of your generosity, it just keeps picking up speed and picking up momentum. And we just keep getting to do more and more and more. The blessing is the way that we practice all three, giving our time, sharing our money, and remaining faithful to the call. And this week, I want to talk to you about this community partnership that we do with the Lighthouse Mission. So this is going to be the fourth winter that we partner with the Lighthouse Mission to open up 35 additional beds as their base camp drop-in facility reaches capacity. It's miserable outside today when you were walking in, right? Can you imagine sleeping outside without shelter? God has clearly called us as a church to compassion and action. Jesus wants us to know and be known by our homeless neighbors. We want to be known as a place of safety and hope. We want to be known as people who practice what we preach. We want to be known as people who say, Lord, Lord, we will do what you say. And his invitation is to give our time, share our money, and stay faithful. And it turns out, you can't just run a shelter with money. It actually takes people to open the doors, make coffee, wash bedding, and clean bathrooms. Even if we have a full team of volunteers, we still need funds to buy coffee and toilet bowl cleaner and put gas in the van. And you have been giving your time and your blessing offering over and over and over again. And it's what has made this possible since 2019. And each year we learn something. We learn how to love our guests a little better. We learn how to be a better partner with the mission. And it's your faithfulness to keep showing up and keep giving that allows our collective impact to grow and develop. Because we want our guests, the mission, and our community to know we are here for the long haul. Because Jesus told us what to do. James 2. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, go in peace, be warm, be well fed, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. If that section of the Bible doesn't move you, how about this one? Jesus is talking to two groups of people. One called him Lord, Lord, and they did what he said when he commanded us to feed the hungry, care for the sick, and look after people who were in bondage. And this is the response when they show up at the end of the story. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. I don't understand all of the supernatural transaction that happens, but I know this. When we are kind and loving and go out of our way to help somebody with physical needs, somehow, when we offer that, their hands reach out, but it's the hands of Jesus that receive it. There's another group in the same story. 
They claimed to know God. They called him Lord, but they never did anything. And at the end of the story, they're left asking a question. It says, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick and in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. That is a clear call to action. My friends, you can make your Lord, Lord count. So here's a couple of opportunities. Some of you took a tour of base camp a few weeks ago, and you saw the incredible ministry that we get to be a little part of, and if you missed it, there's more tour dates coming. I want to encourage you to step across the line and just go see what our brothers and sisters are doing in the downtown core of Bellingham. Some of you are going to be led to give financially and you can use a green blessing envelope or if you go to online, if you go to give.ctk.church, you're going to choose blessing. This is an above and beyond offering from your heart to Jesus because you've been blessed in order to be a blessing. This money goes to support the shelter, the mission, and the work of our 10 other community partners. And here's the big ask. I'm looking for 60 of you, six zero, to move and activate when you're nudged by the Holy Spirit to join the team and faithfully commit to serving four to six evenings down at the weather shelter during the months of December, January, and February. Four to six nights over a three-month period. Can you imagine what God would do if 60 of us just said, I'm going to make my Lord, Lord count. You'll find specific information in the sign-up form at info.ctk.church or you can walk out into the commons and you meet, can meet some incredible people who actually have been doing this the last couple of years and they'll answer your questions and take away all of the, the mystery around it and you're going to find out when we reach out in kindness and love in obedience to what Jesus has asked us to do. We receive a blessing. I'd also like all of us to commit to pray regularly for the men who are going to be staying with us over the next three months, our volunteers, for the connections and conversations. We've seen so many people experience Jesus for the first time just because we created a place where there was a warm room and a mattress, somewhere safe to sleep. I feel like I should say something now. and I, It's not in the script. I don't care. Um, I unapologetically will use shame, guilt, and manipulation in order to help people make good steps in the right direction. <laughs> so you can say, well, Grant, it actually kind of felt like this. Okay. Okay. So we've got kids. We've got the least of these. We've got you. We've got Jesus. And we've got one more because I just love opportunity. Some of you are in this room. You've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Some of you are in this room. You just started walking with Jesus a few weeks ago, and you have never been baptized. Can I come back to my first question? Why not today? Because here's another reality. The God of heaven who said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say, is calling you to be baptized 
right now. Now, we've got some people backstage who answered the question this week about Jesus and his lordship. They showed up in a baptism class, and they want to go public with their declaration. That's why we're doing church a little out of order this morning. They said, Jesus is my Lord, Lord, and I'm going to do what he said because Jesus commanded his followers to not keep your decision to follow Jesus to yourself, but to go public with it so that in a community of believers, we could cheer for that, love you, walk alongside of you, hold you accountable, because we're all supposed to be doing this together. You're like, well, Grant, I missed the class. It's okay, I'll give you a class in six minutes. You ready? Here we go. So baptism is an outward statement of an inner transformation. Some of you are wondering, what are we doing, what are we doing in the tank? It looks like we're talking to each other. We are. When they come into the water, here's the question we ask. Do you love Jesus with everything in you? Everything in you. When they say yes, do you want to serve him in every capacity you can for the rest of your life? Yes, I do. Then we say, then upon your profession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When they say yes to their own decision, we bury them under the water. Because Jesus died to set them free. And then we bring them back up into his resurrected life where they live for him under his lordship. That's what's happening. It's significant. It's a spiritual transaction that's happening. You go down dead. You come back up alive. If you know Jesus, why do you call him Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says? Some of you are like, I've never had an opportunity. You have an opportunity this morning. We got it all mapped out for you. I know there's excuses. I didn't bring a towel. We got towels. <laughs> I didn't bring a change of clothes. We got clothes. I didn't call my family. I'll tell you what, if your family loves Jesus and find out you got baptized without them having to be here, if they really love Jesus, they're going to say yes. Yes. Acts 22, 16. And now, I love this scripture. What are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash your sins away, calling on his name. So how about now? See, I already, we already got a bunch of people backstage. That's cool. But sometimes you need a moment in the moment to actually live out a moment so you don't regret for the rest of your life that moment when you didn't respond. Parents, I'm going to say something to you right now, okay? We're reserving this opportunity for kids over the age of 12 because we believe in parental responsibility. We think you need to have deep spiritual conversations with your kids and we don't want to rush them into anything. So mom and dad, be a parent right now. And if your kid under the age of 12 is in the room and go, I want to get baptized, say, we're going to talk about that this afternoon when we get home. They'll have lots more opportunities down the road. We don't want to take an important spiritual decision away from you as a parent, so we're going to have those opportunities, and it's going to be amazing. But in just a few moments, I'm going to ask those that are getting baptized to come out here. We're going to pray, and if you're here, and today is the day when you say, okay, no more excuses. I'm going to make my Lord, Lord count. I'm going to do what he says. When they're walking this direction, you're going to go to that door right down there. 
And there are going to be people waiting for you and receiving you on that end. So you're going to be a part of the prayer. And then I'm going to ask you to be bold and courageous and get up out of your seat, knowing that every person in this room is for you. And we're going to walk you up that hallway. And I'm not going to like make sure that nothing weird happens. You're going to walk up that hallway. You're going to change clothes. We've got clothes for you. And then we're going to celebrate and baptize. So let's bring out those people that are going to get baptized now. Oh, don't give up on me now. Come on, don't give up on me. Come on. Awesome. Still good. Church, would you stand up with me? And if you're comfortable, extend a hand towards our brothers and sisters. We're going to pray over them and bless them. And right now, if you're thinking... God, I know I need to do this. Have courage. Because in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to step out. Lord Jesus, for my brothers and sisters who are standing here today, we thank you for the story that you've written. God, thank you for this moment when they have made the decision to make their Lord, Lord count. They're being obedient, and God, I know what that must do in your heart today. God, should they stumble, may they come back to this moment. Remembering there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. They can come back to this moment and say, that was the moment I meant I went public and I may, have, I may have stumbled, but I will get back up because Jesus, Jesus died for me and he rose back up. So God, we bless our brothers and our sisters today. Give them courage, give them hope. As they come into the waters of baptism, and may we celebrate. And all of God's people agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. So you guys are going to back up that way. Now, before you're seated, why not today? So I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to be baptized this morning at Christ the King Church, you're going to slip out of your seat, and you're going to walk right down over here. See Travis over there? He's standing in the door. Hi, Trav. That's, so you're going to walk right now. Just start walking and you're just going to move. And the rest of you are going to grab a seat as we're seated. So if you're going, you're going to just start moving. Go that direction. Travis is waiting for you. And we're going to move that way. And then we're going to start baptizing. Yeah, here we go. Awesome. Good. We love that. Yeah, there you go. All right, Andy, fired up. <laughs>